Welcome to the Youth and Policy Podcast. We are a youth-run, nonpartisan institute utilizing discourse to redefine the way youth interacts with policy. The institute welcomes diversity, discourse, innovation, and education to achieve this goal. Thank you for supporting the Institute for Youth and Policy. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Youth and Policy Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Siddiqui. So I want to open up this week's episode by talking about the ongoing supply chain crisis. We are currently experiencing a huge shock in the short-run aggregate supply of goods and services. The global supply chain is slowing down at the very moment Americans are demanding that it go into overdrive. The COVID-19 pandemic has disrupted the global supply chain in many ways. The Delta variant has caused several shutdowns at semiconductor factories across Asia as demand for things like cars and electronics have gone up. Due to the amount of stimulus money pumped into the economy, aggregate demand levels in the U.S. are returning to pre-pandemic levels, but the supply chain can't keep up. The most dramatic expression of this is the purgatory of over 500,000 loaded cargo containers sitting idly on ships, bobbling off the coast of Los Angeles and Long Beach. This combination of high demand and low supply is causing inflation to skyrocket, and this could be one of the worst economic disasters we've seen since the stagflation of the 1970s. In addition to this, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg said this crisis will most likely last well into the first quarter of 2022. So this topic is very interesting to me because it ties into uh, a lot of other topics that we're going to be discussing here on the podcast in the future and that we've discussed in the past. You know, uh, one major factor that you can um, sort of look to as a cause for this entire crisis is, you know, the jobs report. You know, um, our economy is significantly underproducing to where economists expected it would be. Um, We are seeing increases in the number of jobs, but Um, It is not meeting the projection that economists made after the American Rescue Plan was passed. So um, our jobs report has been uh, lagging for the past few months. So that's certainly at play here. Um, The other thing at play here that I'm going to discuss more in depth towards the second part of this episode is, quote unquote, striketober. Um, Over 100,000 different workers, a part of several different unions for several different corporations across the United States are currently going on strike. And then the third and probably biggest factor that's causing this entire supply chain crisis is, you know, the Delta variant absolutely ravaging um, South and East Asian countries because a lot of those countries don't have the same access to vaccinations like Western nations like the U.S. does. And that is because um, large pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer and Moderna and J&J all decided not to release the patent um, for their vaccine because they wanted to uh, you know, maintain their profits instead of distributing a life-saving vaccine. So that's another factor at play here. But I want to first touch on the uh, entire striketober movement. So one reason why there are there are over 500,000 cargo containers sitting idly on ships right now is because we don't actually have enough truck drivers to even load those cargo containers onto trucks in the first place and then drive them to where they need to be. There are currently over 20,000 truckers on strike. Um, These truck drivers have been overworked. They've been underpaid um, for several years, and they are now utilizing their collective bargaining power uh, to show their value. And they are showing their value because as soon as they went on strike, you know, our entire, um, you know, supply chain just completely fell apart. 
you know, this just shows um, how valuable frontline workers and essential workers are to our economy. Um, people who do the labor, the frontline workers, those who are actually paid the, le the least, are actually the most valuable. And it's easy to see how, you know, our entire economic system collapses when they're not able to perform their jobs. Now, the other part of this that I want to touch on is that um, China actually owns most of the factories that are producing these goods, such as um, semiconductors, um, you know, all the other parts that are used to make um, pieces of technology, but also things like home furniture and, you know, clothing, any other good you can think of. Not only does China own the factories that produce these goods, but they also own the containers and most of the boats that are shipping these goods. So China is essentially uh, showing off their soft power here in a way that the United States has been doing for about the past 100 years. Um, you know, due to um, the things that I talked about before, like uh, the jobs report and, you know, the ongoing strikes, the U.S. hasn't been um, exporting as many commodities to China as they were pre-pandemic. So what China did in response is they stopped exporting as many goods to uh, the U.S. Now, the reason why this affects the U.S. much more than it, that it affects China is because, you um, American manufacturing has been completely uh, disbanded in the in the past 20 years. Um, you know, almost all major corporations have moved production over to China because it's much easier and much cheaper to, um, you know, produce labor there because um, there are no like worker protections. There are China has special economic opportunity zones where, you know, the the nor their normal economic regulations such as, you know, worker safety laws, um, minimum wage, none of those things apply in those special economic opportunity zones. So the majority of manufacturing in the world happens in China. That's when that's why when you buy goods, mostly everything says made in China, because almost everything these days is made in China. So China is kind of showing off its soft power here and saying like, hey, you know, if we decide one day to just stop exporting goods, like, I mean, the, the U.S. would be screwed and every other country would be screwed, too, because we have become completely dependent and reliant on China and to in order to you know import cheap goods. You know, if this supply chain crisis continues, this is absolutely the worst case scenario for the United States. You know, if people can't get their uh, jalapeno poppers from Applebee's or they can't get you know their Christmas presents, this country is going to fall apart. The United States maintains whatever semblance of global power they have due to their consumption. Other countries like China have their influence and their, uh, you know, international superpower because of the amount that they produce. Foreign manufacturers have overwhelmingly abandoned the U.S. and sought to produce goods in China, which is why China is said to surpass the United States in GDP by 2035. The United States, on the other hand, is a demand-based economy. The only value we provide to the rest of the world is that we as Americans, we consume the most out of any other country. That is why we have maintained our global power and our global hegemony for so long. That is why our GDP is so large, because we are a demand-based economy instead of a production-based economy like China. If people can't consume, the entire backbone of American capitalism falls apart, because the only way people can cope with the effects of being alienated from their labor is by consuming. You know, th that is why uh, so many anti-lockdown protests occurred, because, you know, people couldn't go to... Um, you know, outback steakhouse and get their onion rings. You know what I mean? Because consumption is consumption is vital to who we are as Americans. Ever since we were born, you we were just trained to consume, consume, consume. It's just 
it's natural to us. That's why the U.S. is a uh, consumption-based economy. That's where the United States gets all of its power from. So, I mean, if we lose our ability to get, uh, you know, cheap goods, if it's going to take, you know, two, three months to get a new car, um, our our entire economic system is going to fall apart. It is not, it is going to be an awful situation for the White House, probably even worse than the COVID-19 pandemic was for uh, Donald Trump and his administration. And I think that's why Joe Biden, uh, the other week, he held a press conference with, you know, several executives and business leaders, and they made the decision, you know, to keep ports open 24-7 now. So now they're going to be hiring more employees and I guess making more employees work overnight shifts. But I mean, several economists have still projected that even with those new regulations put in place, that's still not going to be enough to meet demand. You know, it used to be the case that every other country was dependent on the United States in order to get cheap goods, in order to basically do whatever they wanted to do. But for the first time in history, another country besides the United States is flexing its power to the rest of the world. And now the United States is fully comprehending that we are now dependent on China. You know, if the United States hypothetically cut off trade with China, our entire country would fall apart. There would be mass shortages of almost every good because almost every good we have, like even in our own homes, is made in China. Uh, This entire situation just reveals the inevitability that the United States is an empire in decline and we are becoming more and more reliant on our biggest adversary, China. You know, there's going to be a concerted effort by the media to demonize China and not corporations who originally moved production overseas. I want people to remember that it's corporations who caused this entire crisis. They consensually decided to take advantage of China's special economic zones or SEZs and move all production over there in the name of short-term profit. And now China has established a monopoly over the production of most goods. And now it's coming back to bite these business owners with this new supply chain crisis. So that is definitely something to keep in mind. So if I were to leave you with any uh, piece of advice, I'd say if you want to get Christmas gifts, if you want to buy, uh, you know, Thanksgiving decorations, Halloween candy, whatever it may be, um, I would buy it now because even Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg and every other economist has been saying uh, this is not going to get better as we end off the year. And it's certainly not going to get better in maybe even the first six months of 2022. So if you want something, I would go ahead and buy it right now because this situation is only going to get worse and worse. Now, I want to transition here into our second topic of the day that I touched on a little bit earlier, but we are experiencing a new phenomenon that is being dubbed by journalists as striketober. Um, In April, the number of workers who quit their job in a single month broke an all-time United States record. In July, that record was broken again. In August, quitters set another record. Over 4.3 million new workers quit their jobs. The phenomenon of workers quitting their jobs is being called the Great Resignation. Thanks to several pandemic relief checks, a rent moratorium, and student loan forgiveness, everybody, particularly if they are young and have a low income, have more freedom to quit jobs they hate and move to different careers. In addition, over 100,000 workers across the country are now going on strike. Workers from companies such as John Deere, Kaiser Permanente, Kellogg Cereal, and over 60,000 Ayatse workers, uh, which is basically, you know, Hollywood technicians, your makeup artists, your uh, special effects people, they have all gone on strike uh, to demand better working conditions, better pay, and better benefits. 
You know, due to the pandemic, many people were given the opportunity to work from home or not be forced to work at all. And that caused many people to finally realize the full value of their labor and how badly they were being treated. You know, many people stopped working jobs where they were underpaid or overworked, etc. I mean, we're seeing a drastic shift. Um, we are seeing a drastic shift from previous generation, you know, Generation Z and millennials are not content with staying at one company for 20 years if they're unhappy. There has been a dramatic rise in class consciousness. Younger workers are not content with being paid abysmal wages. They are fighting for decent conditions. They are fighting for decent pay. And none of these strikes that are going on is, you know, communism or socialism or anything that anyone else tells you. These workers are literally just fighting for the bare minimum. They're asking for things like a livable wage, longer lunch breaks, and healthcare benefits. I mean, these workers are striking to be treated as humans instead of disposable pieces of labor. People are tired of doing backbreaking labor. They want to work on things that are meaningful to, to them. You know, I was reading a story about the Hollywood technicians that are going on strike that I mentioned earlier. And a large reason why they're going on strike is because they don't even have, you know, an hour lunch break. Most of the time, uh, these technicians are forced to skip their lunch break because uh, when you're shooting a movie or a TV show, um, the time frames are just uh, so, you know, flexible and out of place that there's no real rigid structure there. Um, so to think that, you know, you're, you're working at a 10, 11 hour shift and you're not even getting a lunch break, like that's just, that's absolutely insane and inhumane. Um, I also wanted to touch on a little uh, tidbit about the John Deere strike. At one location, corporate actually had to force salaried employees, so basically people in management positions or people who work as engineers, to work on the assembly line since all the hourly workers were on strike. And it, it didn't even take one hour until an ambulance had to come to the scene because uh, the new workers, the people who work in management positions, couldn't operate the heavy machinery. You know, this just proves how valuable frontline workers are. Without them, everything collapses. I always found it funny how during the pandemic, there was this huge push by the media to say, oh, we love essential workers, we support essential workers. But then when it comes to actually improving the material conditions of these workers and allowing them to unionize, no one actually cares. You know, it's still crazy to me how pervasive capitalist ideology is. The only reason there isn't greater support for these strikes and unions as a whole is because everyone operates under the mindset that we live in some kind of meritocracy. And everyone believes that one day they're going to be a billionaire or a millionaire who owns a business and exploits their workers. I guess if there's one note I want to end it on, I'd say if you're in a workplace, try to unionize. Uh, there's never been a better time to unionize. And if you see fellow workers striking, uh, try to support them in any way you can. All views expressed in this episode are the personal biases and opinions of each host, and they do not reflect the opinions of the Institute for Youth and Policy. The Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to continue supporting us, you can do so by checking out our Instagram page at YIP Institute. If you'd like to see more from me, follow me on TikTok at Political Dan, where I cover the latest news stories right after they release. If you'd like to see more from me, follow me on Instagram at KateMCL16. You can also check out our website at www.yipinstitute.com. Make sure to follow our page as we upload a new episode every week.